to see everyone is here this morning. Um, I want to make a couple of announcements very briefly before I get into the lesson. A lot going on. As James mentioned, we are going to have the prayer request service uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And we have a lot of things, serious things to be praying about, both um, within this congregation and within the world around us. So I encourage you to be here, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Also, our song practice, as James said, we have a lot of fun learning some new songs and so forth. And um, Edward will be conducting that. encourage you to be out here or stick around uh, 5 o'clock and we'll do that. Um, we move, those of you that come to the movie night, and I know there are a number of you that like doing that, uh, had to move it around a couple of times because we had things going on. But we are going to do that this coming Friday night. And um, I stumbled around and found what I think is a very interesting movie. Um, some of you may have seen it. I never have, but it's called Freedom of Silence. You can ask me about that. But in short, it's about the possibility of uh, uh, basically of religion being outlawed. And so it's an interesting concept in this movie. Um, also, without any um, delaying it much further at least, um, our debates the next two Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock, we're going to talk about God's knowledge of our eternal destination. So I'd ask it simply like this. Right now, where you sit, does God know, already know, if you're going to heaven or going to hell? And so Wes and I are going to debate that. I know a number of you have questions about that, so you might find that interesting. That'll be next Sunday night and the Sunday night or afternoon following. Okay, so let's talk about edification in my church. This is our fourth quarter of our theme. We're talking about things that characterize, uh, identify the Lord's church, things we should find within the Lord's church and things we should find within any congregation. And we've talked about order, we've talked about truth, we've talked about unity, and all of those relate in a fashion to edification But this last quarter, we want to focus on this idea, and our theme verse that I'll mention this morning in the lesson will be from Romans chapter 15, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. And I hope I can get this to work. (laughs) There we go. So let's talk about Romans 15 and verse 2 for a moment, and let's ask the question, what is edification? I think the term is... Somewhat misused at times, the way I hear it used. And so I want us to just kind of go back to the basics this morning. The original term was used simply for the act of building. It was a construction term. Just as much as if you're going to build a house or build a building like this. If you're talking about that building of the building, the act of building, that's this term in the New Testament for edification. It's a compound architectural term, and it literally means building a house, or to the verb form, to build a house. And when you talk about edification, it became the perfect metaphorical term. Now, I'm not going to take time this morning, I might at a later time, go back and see the root, perhaps, of the spiritual use from 1 Chronicles 26, but I'll just mention that briefly and move on. But it became the perfect metaphorical term for building The house of God, obviously. So if it means to build the house, then we're talking about in the New Testament, building the house of God. And then it began to be applied to any kind of spiritual advancement. That is, of constructive instruction. 
Now, we talk about a lot of times about constructive criticism, but this is constructive instruction. That is, instruction that will build up a person or build up a group of people um, so that they might become a suitable dwelling place of God. Now, not this morning so much, but we could turn to passages, and we have before, like Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, that speaks of people, Christians, being built up as, quote, a habitation or a dwelling place for God. And when it says to be built up there, it literally is using this term, to be edified so that they might, might be a suitable dwelling place of God. We see it in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. Where Paul says, you are God's vineyard, or husbandry, the King James says. You are God's building. And then later in 1 Corinthians 3, if we drop down to the latter couple of verses of the chapter, again he speaks of the temple of God and the Spirit dwelling in you and all of that kind of thing. So people being instructed so that they might be built up, advanced spiritually in that sense, to be a suitable dwelling place of God. I want to focus this morning on a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians. So go over there with me if you will. Now, 2 Corinthians is a book in which, I think more than anything, the subject within the book is addressing those people in Corinth who were challenging the authority of the Apostle Paul to teach them or to tell them what to do, if you will. And Paul is really in chapter 10, homing in on some of the particular attacks that are levied against him. You know, they talk about his, his physical presence. They talk about his speech, all of that kind of thing. But if you'll drop down to verse 8 of chapter 10, in the midst of this discussion about all of that, Paul makes this point. He said, for though I should boast somewhat more of our, and I think he means the apostles, I think we, we could show that easily, But though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us, notice, for edification. Now, sometimes the term edification is used, and really what people mean is encouraging. And I want you to understand there's a distinct difference between encouraging and edification. Edification is constructive instruction. It's instructing or informing in a way that improves the mind or character. And that may not be encouraging when it's first given. If I tell someone, for example, if I read a verse in the Bible and I could do that, and I say all liars are going to hell, there will be no liars in heaven. That may not be encouraging if you're a a liar. If you live your life practicing lying, you might not be lifted up by that. You might not be encouraged, but the truth is you can be built up by that. It's constructive instruction. So notice, it's not merely encouraging. Because if you look, and I don't want to get off into a technical dictionary lesson this morning, but if you look at the idea of encouraging, it literally is that idea giving someone the courage or the boldness, the confidence to do something. That can be wrong. I can encourage you to go out and sin. And I can embolden you to do that and give you the courage to go ahead with that thing that is wrong. That's not edification, not in any sense. So when Paul is saying here, I could boast of our authority, the apostles' authority, in the Lord, from the Lord, but it is for edification. It's for building up. And notice he uses two construction terms here. For edification and not 
for your destruction. And the word destruction here is exactly the opposite. We build up a building from the ground up. We tear down or we destroy or we raise, R-A-Z-E, a building when we're trying to destroy it. So Paul said, what I'm teaching you, it may not sound good and you may not like it, but it is constructive and it is building you up and that's what Jesus gives us in his authority to say to you and not for the opposite, for destruction. You see a very similar usage if you'll turn a couple of pages over to 2 Corinthians 13 and go down to verse 10 when Paul would say it like this. Uh, very similarly. Therefore I write these things being absent. Lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given me, or the authority, the Lord has given me to edification and not to destruction. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about edification. We are going to be talking about what the apostles delivered. And we are going to be talking about the knowledge that we gain. We are going to be talking about instruction to construct, as it were, the house of God. Now the word edification is also used beyond the apostles. It's also used of Christians. If you go back with me, and I'll get to Romans 14 and 15 in a moment, but if we, if we look at the interpersonal spiritual exchanges between people, for example, if we went to Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, etc., etc., but that which is good for edifying, to build people up. Now, literally, to build them up, of course, in, in the instruction of Jesus. But it's also used for public Contribution. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 14 for a moment. Paul has a lot to say. You remember the context of 1 Corinthians 14 where they were fighting in Corinth. They were not unified. You know, there was not unity there. But they're fighting about spiritual gifts. And everybody wants to have this one spiritual gift, which is the miraculous ability to speak in another language. I mean, how cool would that be? If all of a sudden you've never studied Mandarin in your life and you can just start, you know, I started to say puke it out. I won't say that. In the, I guess I did already. But you could just start spitting it out, you know, preaching, uh, say, talking, whatever, in Mandarin. That'd be cool. You never have studied it. You don't know how to speak it, but all of a sudden you can. That would be cool. And everybody there wanted that ability. But Paul said, look, you're missing the point. The point of being able to miraculously speak in whatever language is so that you can instruct people. And that's what it's really all about. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, notice verse 3. When he's talking about follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, verse 1, he says in verse 3, but he that prophesies, that is, you're instructing people, you see, with the truth. He that prophesies, verse 3, speaks unto men to edification. If you're speaking the truth to people, you're building them up, you're instructing them, you're telling them what they need to hear so they can be a suitable dwelling place for God. You'll also notice in verse 3 here, He that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation. Now there's your encouragement part. So these are two different terms, two different ideas. Drop down, if you will, to verse 12 when he says it again. It's all through this chapter. He says, Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Now, what ought to characterize the Lord's church? What ought to identify this church? I believe when people walk through the doors, there ought to be something that sticks out to them immediately and all through the service. You can go, and I have gone to many, many different denominations, you know, floundering around looking for 
the truth, looking for, you know, trying to find what was real, what was not, etc., etc. Some of you have done that too. And you know when you walk through the doors, there are going to be things that stand out. If a place is inclined toward entertainment with music, like as not, you're going to see a stage like this one filled with instruments of all kinds. You're perhaps going to hear and or see a full band playing. Or there might be a choir. And there might be as many as 50, 60, 100 people in a choir. And it might be huge and elaborate. And you know that a main focus on that congregation, that church, that place, is music and to attract people by that music. There may even be an elaborate organ as there once was in this building before we bought it or some people who went before us bought it. There might be an elaborate organ and you might hear that beautiful organ playing, etc. You get the point. But when a person comes through the door of this place, it's a rather simple building. It's not, you know, elaborate. It's not like some of the places you see. But what should stand out from the moment that the person comes up here and begins to make announcements and says, all right, now, let's start entering into our worship and begins to pray. All through everything we've done, there is instruction. Anietti, when he was singing, and the songs that he chose, and he would mention them by title, and you would see the, the thought in the song, the, the lesson in the song. When Everton was up here, before we took the Lord's Supper, and before we gave of our means, there was instruction. I'm up here preaching a lesson. And it's not sometimes, you know, I hope that it's encouraging, but it's not a lesson sometimes given to that, you know, that positive mental attitude and everybody be happy and don't worry about what you do outside in the world. It's instruction. And we have verses up here. And, and people have commented, you know, really, you, you don't preach. You kind of lecture. And you, you know, you turn to passages in the Bible or verses in the Bible and you lecture from the Bible. and said, that's right. And the reason we do that is because that's what the apostles showed us to do. That's what they did. And that's exactly what Paul was saying in those verses in 2 Corinthians 10 and 13 and in other places. So we instruct. Why do we instruct? Because that's what builds us up. Not necessarily always lifts us up. You know, sometimes we leave here and, you know, someone has taught something or preached something and it really gets to me. And I may even spend the rest of the day and perhaps a couple of days really thinking about, you know, maybe something Wes said or, you know, someone else said in a lesson, really thinking about it. I know that happened most recently with something TJ said in the last lesson. But really focusing on some idea and meditating on that over a couple of days and thinking about my own life with respect to that. I'm being instructed, and you're being instructed. And hopefully, what is being said, if you take not my words, but God's words to heart, you'll be built up, you'll be edified. And so, as people come together, look at 1 Corinthians 14 down in verse 26. When we assemble together, different ones lead with respect to different acts of worship, but we're all involved. And so you notice, as Paul says in verse 26, Brethren, this is what your assembling together is all about. How is it then, brethren? He's kind of concluding here. How is it then, brethren, when you come together? This is the idea of all of us coming together as we have this morning. Every one of you has a psalm. And we've done that. We've all sung together psalms of God. Each one of you has a teaching. And you have it. 
And you're, you know, we're reading from the Bible right now together, and we're all seeing the teaching. And each one has a tongue. Now, yes, miraculous in that day. Language to convey that instruction. That's what it's about, whether miraculous or not. Has a revelation. What's been revealed from God. We hold it in our hands in our Bible. They were talking, Paul was talking in a time when they were getting it literally bits and pieces. 1 Corinthians 13 says that. But bits and pieces directly from God. But now we have the whole revelation. All of it in written form. So each of you has a a revelation, an interpretation. Notice what he says again. Let all things be done unto edifying. I would be against, for example, I would be against a song and a song service where some of the songs that are sung that are out there pay no respect, no attention whatsoever to what is said. Some, sometimes not even intelligent words. I've been a part of a service like that before. And it was a Church of Christ service. And where someone just broke into a chant of a syllable over and over and over again. And everybody got, because it was a kind of a rock and roll tune behind it, everybody got fired up. And everybody, yeah, yeah, and singing that syllable over and over. And my question about it was, where's the instruction? What are we learning here? We're getting fired up. No question about it. We can sway and we can close our eyes and we can get all rah-rah about something. But what are we learning? When you and I sing songs here, we don't just mindlessly babble some unintelligible phrase or syllable. We sing songs. We teach and we admonish. I would be against, for example, if someone came up to do the Lord's Supper and said, Now, it really doesn't matter what all this is about this morning. Let's just hold hands and get close to the Lord. We'll eat a little bread and we'll drink a little juice and we'll get close to Jesus. Well, there's no instruction in that. There's no real purpose, not the one Jesus talked about. Take, eat, this is my body. Remember my body. Remember my blood. And you see where I'm going with all that. Let all things be done unto edifying. This constructive instruction. So, in summary, what do we have? Well, we have passages like this. And I'm going to turn to Acts 20 in just a moment. Where Paul talks about really instructing. In fact, let's just go to Acts 20 for a moment. And Acts 20 is an interesting passage. And a lot of times what we do with Acts 20, and I, at least I've noticed this, been my observation over the years, it might not have been yours. I hope not. But we kind of teach Acts 20, unless we're in a Bible class, we kind of teach it hopping around in Acts 20. If we talk about the closeness between Paul and some of the members of the church, well, we single out the verses in Acts 20 that talk about how they hugged each other and, you know, they kissed and, uh, you know, each other and greeted each other and all that, that clo- the tears and all of that. If we're talking about the elders, well, we home in on verse 28, maybe like in, you know, a couple of weeks back in the tent meeting, and we cite a passage like this. But you may remember, or you might go and listen to that online, Marty, when he talked about this passage, mentioned something that came later in the chapter, even though he didn't really focus on it and stay on it, that I'm going to mention myself this morning. But we focus on 28 and a couple of verses after, and we warn about what can happen with elders. Or we single out this beatitude of Jesus that wasn't included in the original list. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
But when you look at Acts 20, beginning in verse 17 as a whole, this whole address and meeting with the elders, Paul's focus is on teaching, this constructive, constructive instruction, this edification. For example, look at verse 20. Paul said, I've kept back nothing that was profitable. Notice that. It's constructive. It's profitable to you. But I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. In verse 21, he goes on to say, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God. In other words, instructing them to change their lives, again, so they would be suitable temples of God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Look down in verse 27 when he says it like this. I've not shunned, in other words, stepped back or gone back or or whatever, cowered backwardly is the idea. I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Again, go back up and notice, constructive instruction may not be encouraging for the moment. You know, sometimes when you declare the whole counsel of God, you anger people. Sometimes you get, you know, you raise a lot of disagreement. No, I don't agree with that. What's your saying, preacher? I don't see that at all. The idea is you declare the whole counsel of God and you give instruction for people to internalize and think about, and when they commit to it, again, their lives are changed. It has nothing to do with how much you're trying to fire up a group of people. Notice as Paul goes on here in verses 31 and 32, as he says to these elders to feed the flock of God, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with fears. When you get a warning from somebody, do you? Get all fired up about it? I mean, are you happy to hear it when somebody's warning of danger and all of that? And the answer is no, but you need to hear the warning. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, verse 32, and to the word of His grace. Notice that. To the word of His grace, which is able to, and here's our word, build you up or to edify you and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So we have the apostles doing that, and then we are taught to do that, as we just looked at, and as we looked at earlier in the year, and we'll come back to in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. We all have our role, we all have our place to, verse 16, edify each other, build each other up in the faith. Building up one another in the faith. So let's talk about that for a moment from Romans. And I'll close by looking at this passage. And I want to look at it briefly although this is going to be our central verse, and this is what I'm going to come back to several times. But let's just start with this conclusion by Paul in Romans 15. So we start in verse 1. I'm kind of taking it backwards here, and I know that. Because you'll notice Paul says, we then. And I'll come back and really look at the then part of it at another time. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor to his good, to edification. And then you'll notice he cites Christ. For Christ pleased not himself. What is Paul saying here? He wants you to build up other people in the faith. And it is interesting how he begins to cite the example of Christ. And he said, Christ did not please himself. So, let me get this straight. If I'm building up other people in the faith, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to instruct other people constructively and build them up in the faith, that may not be something that is pleasing to me. 
You got it. It may not be. You may have to make sacrifices. You may have to say things you don't want to say and don't feel like saying. You may have to do things you'd rather not do, etc., etc. But isn't that what Jesus did? He builds us up. He edifies us. He did not please himself. As it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach me fell on me. They crucified him so that he might build us up. And he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And these things in the Old Testament scriptures. Now drop down to verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded. Like-minded how? Like Jesus, who if it took it, and it did, went to a cross and died so that you might be edified, built up in the faith. So if I'm going to be like-minded and have the mind of Jesus be like Jesus, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice everything, even my life, sometimes my freedom, sometimes my entertainment, my joy, what I want to do, what I'd rather do, what I feel like doing, if it means that together we're going to be built up in the house of God in the faith. That you may, with one mind, verse 6, And one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I beg you, notice this, in verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I say that Jesus Christ was a minister, a servant of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the goodness, notice, made with the Father. When you look at this passage, you begin to understand what it takes to edify You've got to be personally invested. It's not enough that I stand with a Bible, forget how I live, and forget what I do, and forget what, how much I commit to it. But this is what you need to do. Now, you've got to be personally invested. You've got to invest in the other person. And in fact, if we were to look at this passage deeper, and we will, you're going to have to be willing to give of yourself first if you're ever going to build someone else up in the faith. It is not enough. And I've heard people say this until I started to say I'm sick of hearing it, but I won't say it like that. But it's wrong. It's enough to teach people the truth. It is not enough to teach people the truth. It is not. If they're An honest individual, an exceptional individual, the few that will take the truth regardless of the one giving it to them, then, yeah, it's good, and it will be good enough. It will be because the power of God was able to reach beyond you so they could get the truth. But when God is teaching us to edify, it is not enough to simply tell them the truth. You need to invest yourself first. You need to give of yourself first. And it needs to be with the attitude, for example, Matthew 7. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Does that apply to teaching? Have you ever had someone say something to you that you needed to hear, but say it in such a way that you almost couldn't hear it? And I think we've all been there. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Have this mind, just like Paul is saying here, Have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of mind was in Christ? He first emptied himself. He humbled himself. He gave of himself. Now, Paul says, Now, do all things without strife and vainglory and all of this kind of thing. 
so you can edify, build other people first. You need to invest yourself first. Give of yourself first. You need to genuinely care for someone. Are you telling them the truth? What you're telling them? Are you telling them because they're wrong? Or are you telling them because you love them? The person might say, well, both. No, no. Are you telling someone the truth because they need to hear it? And that's what crossed your mind. So-and-so needs to hear this. Are you telling that person because you really love them? You know, when you look in the Bible, there's sort of a progression. And I call it a progression about love and loving the other person. It starts in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, what Jesus said was the second commandment, great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And most people love themselves. They really do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then it progresses. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you something new. Love one another as I have loved you. That's Romans 15, if you're looking at it again. He went to the cross. He demonstrated his love for me. So you know what? The guy that's willing to go to the cross and die for me, I'm, I'm going to listen to anything he says. When someone sacrifices themselves like that, then you listen. It's like when you mature and, you know, mom and dad have been there, for example, and they told you things you didn't want to hear. They were mean, you know. (laughs) They said things you didn't want to hear. And then you get older and you start looking at all the sacrifices they've made and what they could have done in their lives, but they didn't because they did it for you. And I want to hear what you got to say. I think about my old grandmother. And all the things she could have enjoyed at the end of her life, and she put up with a heathen like me. I want to hear what she had to say. I want to know what she's thinking. You need to love the person as I have loved you. And love because he loved first. You know, this attitude of, well, I'm going to go to this person, I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. And if they treat me so and so, then I'm going to such and such. Love them first. Be like Jesus. And finally this. You've got to unselfishly give the instruction. If you approach what you're going to say and how you're going to interact with another person based on what you're going to get out of it, the benefit you're going to get, for whatever reason, and you can think about that and really meditate upon that, and you should. If I'm going to someone and I'm telling them something that I think they need to hear, but the end result is this is what I'm going to get out of it then I've gone with all the wrong reasons. When you look at Acts chapter 20, and you listen to Paul in Acts 20, Paul is saying, I came to you and I told you everything you needed to hear. I didn't covet any man's silver and gold. I wasn't looking at it for what I could get out of it. I was looking at it for what you will get out of it, because I care about you. And I think they understood that. They loved that man. When you look at these verses, when you look at what the Bible is teaching, and when it echoes back to Jesus, what it is saying about Jesus is, He taught us, He told us, He tells us what we need to know and what we need to do because He cares about us. The number one motivating factor, apparently, evidently, from the Scripture, for why Jesus did everything He's done and why He continues to do everything He does is because He loves us. 
It's as simple as, I want you with me. You know, a parent takes a little child into the room and says, pick up your toys. A little child says, I want to pick up my toys. I like them just fine where they are, you know, all spread out all over the room. Man, they're beautiful. Clean up your toys. Pick up your toys. Child doesn't pick up the toys. I was that child. You know, I ain't picking up my toys. And then you get a spanking. And mom gives you this lecture. Our dad gives you this lecture. You don't want to hear the lecture? <laughs> I don't want to hear what you got to say. You know, you beat me because I went to pick up my toys. That's the truth. No. The truth is, I want you to learn authority. You don't understand that right now, but I want you to learn it. The truth is, I want to save you from a lot of hurt and harm you're going to go through. The truth is, we're going to both grow older. And later in life, I want to have you with me. And then, ultimately, I want to die and I want to go to heaven and I want you to be there with me. Now, you may not get any of that right now. Most three and four-year-olds don't. But you will. The reason that I'm telling you to pick up your toys and the reason I'm spanking you or beating you because you don't is because of all that. And I'm convinced that's what Jesus is telling us. What does that got to do with edification? It's got everything to do with edification. Because it's not about what I want to hear. It's about what builds me up, constructs me as the temple of God. So as we talk about it this quarter... That's what we're going to be looking at. Are you here this morning? And you are not a temple of God. You've not confessed your belief in Jesus that He is the Son of God, nor repented, changed your life, and begun to live your life for Him. You've not been baptized for forgiveness of your sins, but you want to. And you can do that this morning. Maybe it is that you're here this morning, and there's something that's wrong, and you know it, you need to ask for the, the prayers of the people here, and we would love to pray together with you. Won't you please come while we stand and sing?